Hey, welcome to episode seven of Ask Us Anything. I'm Mark Graven, the VP of Innovation and Improvement Services from Kinexus. Greg, you want to introduce yourself? I'm Greg Jacobson, the CEO and co-founder of Kinexus. So we're going to jump right in. Uh, we've got a lot of questions. Um, Isaac asked this question. I've used these types of programs, and I assume he means Lean and, and Kaizen, as, as we write about on our blog, and you know we support through Kinexus in a manufacturing environment where programs and schedules are consistent. I don't see it applied as easily in a big box retail environment with varying employee schedules and changing activities. So Greg, maybe let me maybe address this to you. you you've always done this in a hospital setting, um, which is maybe more like what Isaac describes than a manufacturing setting. How have you seen this apply? Are there any particular challenges or how do you deal with it? Sure, well, I think that there's probably two levels to this question we'll let you address you know can the principles be applied to a big box retail and i'll kind of address more on the tactical side so that was that was one of the the observations i had when i was reading mizaki and my book kaizen back in 04 which introduced me to all these uh, concepts and principles and and i immediately realized wait a minute we have we have two emergency departments we have over 80 physicians they are in physically two separate places. They are um, running 24/7, 365. So you know how do you how do you connect everyone? How do you allow and facilitate asynchronous collaboration? And uh, how do you make sure that everyone's at the continuous improvement table? And so I immediately reached for technology, recognizing that you know there's computers and there are smartphones back maybe not 05, but now today, smartphones everywhere. And it really does create a, a nice platform to help bring people into the conversation that aren't there. And what we end up seeing is that um, being able to connect people through that medium ends up facilitating conversations, face-to-face -face conversations that actually wouldn't have happened without that extra way to communicate. Because sometimes the comments made by someone that maybe is doing a night shift and um, if someone comes in 15 minutes early on the morning shift, say, hey, Mark, you put this comment in about this. Let's break this down. Can you show me what you're talking about? Can you explain it further? And so I think that's where when you start getting distributed workforces, whether it's distributed in time or in space, that's really where technology can help uh, kind of put everyone on the same page. Yeah, and you addressed the Kaizen piece of it perfectly. I would just add... You know, I, I don't know uh, big box retail environments. I mean, I know there are uh, retailers, restaurants um, like Starbucks that have been applying lean principles within the stores to do not just to redesign processes, but to try to encourage continuous improvement at the store level. I guess, you know, I would add, I mean, I hear whether it's people in manufacturing or in different settings, they often throw out um, this objection to say, well, okay, well, we don't have consistent demand. We don't have a highly repetitive product or service. I'm like, well, Lean is not really about that. You know, the, the Toyota model of having relatively high volume, relatively repetitive manufacturing is actually, I think, somewhat unusual in manufacturing. You know, you've got a lot of environments where people build custom products. Every product is unique in some way, kind of like the healthcare people would say every patient is unique. And so, you know, you have to, I think, kind of understand what lean is, what it isn't. It's not about just repetition, 
It's about engaging people. It's about understanding your customer and the value that, that they need and kind of applying principles to the right setting instead of making excuses of how we're different than Toyota. And I think just to add to that, I think that we hear stories about people applying these principles to their family, to their personal lives. Um, I have been applying these principles to, to my work day in general. And I think that uh, when you when you start to see we have we're interacting just at Kinexus with customers in all sorts of different industries. So I don't think that a lean implementation transformation in a manufacturing place is going to look identical to it in, let's say, a professional services. You know, the, the last webinar we had professional services. Mm-hmm. But I think that if you understand what the core principles are, you're going to see how they're being applied tactically, right. not slightly different, but the core the core principles are all going to be extremely, if not identically the same. Right. And, you know, if you can't level load demand, the other point I was going to make is that you vary staffing levels accordingly. And uh, we see people in healthcare doing this in emergency departments. Instead of only working 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. or vice versa, they start staggering the shift patterns and kind of addressing the varying demand um, and, and planning for that. So uh, next question, what are some of the techniques you found effective in changing the mindset of people whose values, managerial methods, and communication styles are out of sync with what Lean requires? Maybe let me address that first, I mean, because this is a big challenge. I I don't think we, we we can't get executives to change by telling them to change. I mean, I think we need to maybe expose them to other leaders that have embraced lean management styles that have changed personally, um, try to maybe help them see what's possible and, and maybe try to encourage them just to, to try, you know, to try making some changes and then coach them along the way. I think any lean change, you know, any change that happens through lean has to somewhat be learned by doing. It's not just something where you can lecture to somebody and then, Oh, they get it. And they start, acting differently, whether that's reducing batch sizes in a process or leaders changing the way they behave. So I think um, it it can't just involve telling. We've got to kind of try to open people's eyes in different ways. I think there's, I'm going to bring up three points because I I think this is a really great question. We know that in order to um, have good continuous improvement, to have a culture, you need the leadership component, the process component, and then the technology component. And the leadership component, what we've ended up finding is probably the most important one. You, you just can't do this really well without leaders um, being there. They're all three critical, but um, that's the one that can really kind of knock the stool off. And um, I took a political science class in college, and it was really interesting. Um, it was called Political Discourse, and the professor who his name escapes me, but it's a class that I've taken into. I mean, I'm talking about a class that took over 20 years ago. And he let us basically argue for half of the semester. It was this three-hour kind of lab style. And about halfway in the semester, he said, stop. He said, let me ask you guys, have you, has, has anyone changed their minds about anything? Like, do you understand what anyone's talking about? And we're all like, yeah, no, we we really haven't. And he said, okay, so what I want you to do now is I want you to really listen to what the person's saying and to validate what they're saying and and really explain that you understand it and then explain 
what you're what you're trying to say. Mm-hmm. And, and that simple, you know, action um, can really create that uh, connection you need with that leader. So going into the leader and saying, "Hey, let me tell you how you need to do what you need to do better." That's not going to get anywhere. But if you sit down and listen and say, you know, tell me what your opinions are. What are your principles? What problems are you having? Validate those and then move forward. You're going to come at it with a, a much better success chance. Um, yeah. the, the second thing I want to bring up is um, it's a book that um, I, I'm, I'm reading now. I've been reading it for a while. I've kind of put it down at different stages, but it's Leaders Eat Last. And Leaders Eat Last, he, he gets mm-hmm. into Simon Sinek. Yeah, it gets into the biology of what's going on in organizations. And he, he starts talking about um, a couple of different hormones. He's, he's talking about, um, or chemicals, I should say. They're not all hormones, chemicals. He's talking about dopamine. He's talking about cortisol and, and how those are really powerful chemicals in our body and how ultimately those are kind of more negative chemicals. Or those are chemicals that will end up creating habits that don't foster successful businesses. They certainly have their place. Um, we we yeah. need cortisol. Um, you know, you, you need dopamine, but because you... cortisol is, is is I guess created yes, when exactly. when you're in so stress. if you actually right? don't have good cortisol responses when you're really sick and are fighting an infection, you can die from that. And so there there's a place for it. Um, but the the issue is is that if you're living in an environment where your cortisol levels are always surging. That's a really big stress on your body, and it's going to create a scenario where you are making decisions that probably aren't good business decisions and good for the organism, if you will. And and then he talks a lot about um, serotonin and and oxytocin, which are different chemicals that actually foster trust and and foster um, change um, um, or would if those were at high levels, people would be more receptive to change. So I recommend reading that book and I'd recommend thinking about those different chemicals. And those chemicals are actually, you know, I know this is about how do you change leaders, but getting leaders to kind of recognize um, in, in you understanding kind of what type of company you're at, I think will give insight. And then the last point I'm going to make is if you go in to the leader and say, we're going to do a three-year lean transformation and it's going to involve 18 steps and this and that, and they're going to like glaze over and go, I don't know what you're talking about, but if you just get a small yes, right? Tell me about a problem and then let's see if we can work on that problem and just get a tiny little win. It's like the baby steps. Was that Bill Murray? Wasn't there a Bill Murray movie where it was like, And and I think getting a small yes from a leader without putting it in the framework of this is lean or this is continuous improvement or this is six Sigma, but just, this is, we're going to solve a problem. Um, I I think you're going to, you're going to hear, or you're going to find that your audience a lot more receptive. Yeah. And and there's a lot of questions here about, it's not, it's not about lean methods. It's about change. It's about people. So I'm going to, I'm going to jump. There's a kind of, I think, related question. We can continue this, this discussion. Ashok asked, how do we convince or show site leadership team of, of 10 leaders that Gemba walks every day at the same time helps employees on many fronts, that the walk should be for the employees, not the managers, um, so that they can uh, learn and uh, I kind of paraphrase the, the question there. So, I mean, I, I think that's one of those behaviors. A lean leader behavior would be get out of the office, go to the Gemba or the workplace, 
not to go and tell, not to tell people what to do in the workplace, but to be there as a servant leader and to understand and to build trust. So we could tell a leader it's good to do gimbal walks or we try to maybe step back and, and say, well, what, what's the problem that a gimbal walk is solving? Because if, if, if we're prescribing that for an organization, that's a solution, a gimbal walk in a way. It's not an easy solution, but it's an action to take. So you might want to start in the discussion and say, well, what happens when we stay in our office or when we give people solutions that are cooked up in the conference room? People might reflect on that and say, well, you know, a lot of times we kind of throw out solutions that aren't appropriate and that frustrates people or kind of understanding what is it that the gimbal walk is a countermeasure to instead of a best practice. And then I think back to your point, Greg, we can't convince them. We can maybe only have them start with baby steps. Go do a gimbal walk. How did that feel? What did that lead to? Um, are you willing to go and do a second gimbal walk? I, I think you have to let people sort of discover and learn on their own. Um, it's a progression. It's not a jump from yesterday. I didn't do gimbal walks. Now today and forever, I'm doing them. There, there, there's a progression that people have. And to I think even to kind of break that down, even into a smaller yes, maybe you don't even call it the gimbal walk, right? Maybe you're talking about a problem in a conference room and you, and, and you tell a story about how a conference room solution was made. And, and I wish I had a good story offhand. Maybe you have one, Mark, where they, they implemented yeah. something because they're sitting in the conference room, but in reality, it didn't work. And so just getting people to get up out of that room and go walk to look at the problem in that one tiny case, that that's going to be that, you know, and, and, and if you if we're talking about the, the, the power of um, habit, the, the loop, the routine, oh, there was a cue, there was a routine, and the reward of that action could simply be, oh, actually, we solved the problem. We solved it in a way that we wouldn't have thought about in the in the room. And then maybe do that a couple more times and then say, actually, you know, right. we could actually do this formally, you know, when we could we could actually just take this meeting out into the Gemba. Maybe don't even call it a Gemba walk. Call it whatever you want to call it, you know. This is the action of it, but um, right. that might be a good first step. Yeah, and, and there's a story that, you know, a real story I was involved in. It's in the book Lean Hospitals. There's kind of a cover here over my shoulder. Um, in a hospital, I used to, you know, I think stories are helpful. I don't have data I can point to and say, well, you know, organizations that do gimbal walks are X percent more productive, but stories are powerful. There's a story that I tell, you know, long story short, uh, a hospital was trying to improve patient satisfaction scores. And one of the reasons patients were upset was because of noise at night. So quite literally, the CEO the, from the conference room decided we're going to carpet the hallways in the patient units. And I was out there in the unit. I was at the Gemba with the nurse manager and his uh, maintenance crew showed up and there was a big roll of carpet up against the wall. And the manager in the unit had no idea what was going on. And she walked down and asked and they said, yeah, we're here to install the carpet. So she wasn't even aware of that change. She hadn't been given, given any input into that. There were a lot of reasons why carpet would be a bad idea in those units. And so they quite literally rolled out the carpet, pun intended. And um, it turns out patient satisfaction didn't improve because of the carpet. Patient satisfaction improved because of a lot of little things the nurses and the managers did. They, they shut doors, they turned off TVs or lowered the volume at night. They were more mindful of their hallway discussions. 
It was all of those little things that you and I would recognize as Kaizen, driven by the people in the unit that made an impact, not that top-down uh, solution from, from the executives. But you know, I think there, there's dopamine bursts that come from, oh, I've got an answer, and I'm going to give that to people. That's one of those habits maybe that we have to try, try to move people away from. And you know, I tell that story, and people might not have done the exact same thing, but they may recognize a little bit of their own circumstances there and realize, yeah, you know, these, these solutions that are lobbed into the Gemba from the outside don't always work. And we, we, we can try a different approach. That's great. So we've got another question here. This is uh, Curtis who asked, uh, maybe this is a short answer. How does pointing fingers at employees, point at my camera, how does pointing fingers at employees for the team's mistakes affect morale? One word answer. Very negatively. <laughs> yeah, badly. Yeah, okay. I got, you got two words. I got one word. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I mean, I'm trying to think, how, do, how does blaming people for systemic problems ever help? Uh, it, it doesn't. That's one of those habits um, that's, that's difficult for leaders to change. When something bad happens, instead of asking who, who screwed up, who's responsible, um, to, to look at the process and to look at systems. That's, that's a change that's easier said than done. Do I blame individuals for blaming others? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, what, what do the, you say? I always like to apply things to what I'm reading. And so the, the leaders at last would say, the blame is that's, you're going to get surges of cortisol, right? Versus um, mm -hmm. looking at that as a mistake and um, I'm, or, or as, a, as a process error, I should say, instead of an individual mistake, you're going to create um, a burst of, of serotonin. I mean, that, that's effectively what that's going to do by, by kind of thinking through that and then by um, solving that problem and making people feel good about the fact that there was a mistake, if you will, not because there was a mistake, but because we recognize that mistakes for the vast majority of time actually are just revealing a process problem, which really means that you have an opportunity for improvement sitting right there. And um, that's all of a sudden, yeah. but I, I can tell you this, and, and I see this in healthcare. It's one of the main reasons why I, I got in, into this as my line of work. When, when you start pointing fingers, right? When it, it, we see it on NPR or here on NPR, right? They always, oh, oh the, it was the train instructor, the train driver. They just concluded that after a year, it was the train person wasn't paying attention to the road. You know, there wasn't any kind of, and that's all we, well, we always, it was the airplane pilot that caused it. And, um, but when yeah. you start having a blame culture, then there, typically by the time there's a big issue that bubbles up to the leader, there have been dozens, if not hundreds of opportunities that kind of led to that. You know, we call them near misses in, in healthcare. And what, we, what you end up doing with those near misses right. is you just keep sweeping them under the carpet. Because if you bring up those near misses, you're going to get in trouble, right? You don't want to get in trouble. And so you end up kind of creating this scenario where there, there was opportunity to prevent really big things from happening that didn't occur. And, um, and not only are you creating a high cortisol, low serotonin environment, but you're setting yourself up for, for real big safety issues. Yeah, and I think you know there's the flip side of the blame game, and and there's a lot of human nature and evolution involved, and in why we tend to oversimplify situations and blame an individual 
instead of being good systems thinkers. But the flip side to blaming individuals is, I think, the, the idea that we can prevent problems by just lecturing people to be careful. And so we're going to hang signs in the uh, train engineer's station that says, hey, don't stop paying attention. You know, looking at the sign itself is kind of distracting their attention. But, you know, I've, I've poked fun. It's a serious issue, but I've poked fun for a long time at workplace signs that are meant to uh, prevent safety problems or quality problems, signs that say, be careful, pay attention. I, I blogged today um, on uh, leanblog.org about um, The Simpsons, and there's actually a whole line of workplace safety posters built around The Simpsons and those characters. And I, I love The Simpsons. I've, I've, I've loved that show from the beginning. Um, but these signs that say, you know, basically, hey, don't trip and fall. I, I couldn't imagine that those signs really help prevent people from tripping and falling. And, and the signs may be eye-catching, but I, I don't think they really work. Or otherwise, we just hang signs in the operating room that say, you know, hey, yeah. don't operate on the wrong don't, surgeon don't or leave the wrong instruments patient. inside yeah. the, the belly before you close it up. Yeah. Be careful. You know, be careful. Uh, you know, signs, there's a Simpsons sign about, you know, washing your hands. Well, people in healthcare know they need to wash their hands. And when they don't wash their hands enough, it's not as simple as saying, well, that's a bad person. There, there's systemic barriers. And so I think that's the flip side of the, of the blame game. Blaming doesn't help. Like you said, Greg, it encourages people to cover up problems and just lecturing people or hanging signs. I think if, if that were, if that would have worked in healthcare, it would have worked a long time. I almost wonder if signs about not tripping would increase tripping because you'd be looking and reading the sign instead of looking right. down where you're walking. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. So I mean, like at the Troida plant in San Antonio, they have things posted about good safety practices, and one of them is about you know don't don't walk and text you know, in the factory, and this is good practice when you're driving or when you're walking as a pedestrian somewhere. The sign itself, the reminder that says don't walk in text um, is probably one thing, but I'm sure there's a cultural norm. If somebody were walking and texting, does the plant manager or any employee stop and, you know, kind of correct that behavior in the moment instead of ignoring it? Well, I don't want to challenge that person. Um, and then they trip and fall, and then the analysis says, "Well, it was because they were walking and texting. Shame on them!" Like that's that's not that's not the way to improve safety. We've got to we've got to manage these situations, not just hang signs. You know, we hear stories in healthcare. Somebody uh, wrote on my blog last week about pointing out problems, and people said, "Like, well, no, we can't talk to that surgeon because they're known to have oh, a really yeah. bad temper." Well, that, that's ignoring the problem isn't getting to the root cause, right? And I don't mean to, to pick on surgeons no, you can or pick the on doctors surgeons. there. But. Uh, All right. Um, there's another uh, question, I guess, a little bit different direction about change management. A lot of people talk about this. Is there a way of measuring? Is there any measure of the investment that companies are making in that which, area which regarding change name management? Is this? this is from Mark. Yeah. Mark with a C. Any way of measuring the investment that companies make? I mean, I think, you know, I, I'll think, you know, just kind of, I don't have a good answer to that. I mean, do you measure 
the number of training sessions and workshops they do about change management? Do you measure the amount of time within a rapid improvement event that's spent on change management practices instead of just observing the process and doing root cause analysis? Um, I think those would be a couple. Measuring how long it takes to change behavior. I mean, maybe if you're doing change management well, the action that you want to occur at the organization is going to happen in less time than kind of continuing to revert back to the way you did things. Great question. I, I don't know if there's a, I mean, what they're really trying to say is how, how do we prove the ROI um, that, that working with management is uh, important? Yeah. Yeah, and that and that's a whole that's a whole different challenge. You know, the the ROI of continuous improvement, the ROI of employee engagement, the ROI of lean. It's not always a direct and easy and simple cost benefit. Yeah, calculation. I, I, I think it's pretty clear though. If you are interested in, in EMR is a great example, right? If you're going from paper to electronic medical record. There, if you don't do change management well, that's going to be a far more painful process than if you do change management well. And that action right. is an incredibly costly action. I mean, true top-down massive change is in the organization. If they're done right. well, is obviously going to. So there's to me, there's some face validity there, and there's. Naturally, yeah. if there is um, an action that's a strategic action of the company that's really good to, um, or important for that company to make, there is a body of knowledge that can help, if applied correctly, that can help make that transition less painful. So, right. And I, you know, it's, I think, a fair generalization that people really underestimate the amount of effort that needs to go into change management, whether that's launching a new continuous improvement program or a lean transformation, the amount of change management required in an effective rapid improvement event or a bigger project. A lot of times people get focused on understanding the problem, coming up with different solutions. They really you know, sort of um, give short change to the amount of communication that is required. So we, and we don't plug things too often here, but maybe as we start to wrap up, I'll plug our Kinexus user conference, which is going to be happening in Austin in late October. Really? I'm going to be leading an optional, optional workshop on change early November. I'm sorry. Early November. It was late October last year, early November. And uh, people can learn about that at kinexus.com. The um, change management workshop that I'm doing is going to be a, a day-long exercise where people can get practice with change management tactics, stakeholder analysis, field analysis, communication plans. And we do it through an interactive um, web-based simulation, which is kind of a, a fun way. It's the closest you can get to learn by doing in a setting like a classroom. So, Greg, is there anything else you would want to say about the user conference or anything else that's going on new yeah, no, um, these days? We, we do have a user conference. It's going to be our second annual. We're really looking forward to it. Check out our website, and you can learn a lot about it. Typically, what we found is that um, most of our customers are going to come, and, and then there'll be um, you know a, a smaller 
a segment of, of folks that are just interested in what we're doing and interested in spreading continuous improvement and interested in learning about companies that are doing that well. So, um, yeah. um, it's, it's, it's open to the public and it's, a, it's in Austin that we, we do it in Austin because people end up saying, oh, I've always wanted to come to Austin, you know, and this is just a great excuse for that. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And if people, if you're interested in that, just do a Google search for Kinexus user conference, 2016, Google will bring you right uh, to that page. And if you're not a customer, um, you know, there's, there's possibility yeah. of, uh, attending, uh, as well, and we encourage you to talk to Greg and and, and Jeff and the team at Kinexus. Um, mention so, on that, Mark, uh, is simply that you know the user conference is actually it's um it's not a um, revenue stream for us. So you'll you'll notice that the pricing is is really just to cover the majority of the costs. So it's not costing us an arm and a leg. So it, from from a from a value standpoint, if we're really going to divide quality by price, I would say that our our value equation is extremely high when you think about it from that perspective. Yeah, because so. yeah, you know, looking back to last year, we had customers giving presentations about their approaches to continuous improvement, what's worked well for them, what are their lessons learned. Yeah, we talk about technology a little bit, but that's just one of the three legs of the stool. Um, methodology, leadership behaviors, and technology, and um, those are all important. Those are all uh, part of what we talk about at the user conference. So um, we're, we're about out of time. I, I guess I'll make a plug for other stuff. Um, our webinars, our webinar series, go to kinexus.com slash webinars. I'll get the date right on this one. Um, June 28th, Dr. Mark Jabin, not Mark Graben, but Mark Jabin with a J, is going to be giving uh, doing a webinar on um, change and uh, brain science. Um, he's really very knowledgeable, done a lot of research and thinking about this. So um, it's kind of, uh, I think that'll be a really good yeah, thing. I think if you're, sign up for. for me, and granted, I'm kind of a biology person in general, but for me, if I understand the way things work, I'm able to do better in that action. And, and, and um, Dr. Jabin has, has really put together a nice story from a lot of the research that, that he's been reading about and kind of putting together in a, um, in a cohesive way for us to start understanding what's going on and how do people change their minds and how can you influence people to change their minds. So I think it's certainly, if the, the, you know, especially we had a bunch of questions about change management. It's certainly a, um, a great, great webinar for people to either, you know, log into live or, or sign up for, and then we'll actually send you the, um, the video afterwards. And it's also going to show up on our podcast. And we just, we like to put all this content out for the, kind of the, the continuous improvement community, if you will. So fun to be a part of and to grow this body of knowledge. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So we'll, we'll go ahead and wrap up. I think Greg and I will do another one of these in about a month or so. Um, you can get informed about that um, at kinexus.com slash webinars. And I want to thank you for taking time to uh, watch the discussion. And, and thank you for the questions that have been submitted. Have a great day, guys. Time.